Expert witnesses have been a part of the American legal system since its very beginnings, but despite constant film and TV portrayals in Law & Order, CSI, Rainmaker, and A Few Good Men, to name just a few, most of us non-lawyers know very little about the role of expert witnesses. So on today's Please Explain, we will be talking with an old friend of the show, Al Ubell of Accurate Building Inspectors. He is a veteran expert witness, and we'll also... Let's talk with criminal defense and civil rights lawyer David Rudolph, who was the attorney for Michael Peterson, the subject of the Sundance miniseries, The Staircase. Welcome to our show. I'm glad to be here. Nice to be here. And we also, during these Please Explain segments, invite our listeners to join in. Um, if you have any questions, uh, our number here is 212-433-9692. You can also write to us on our show page at wnyc.org. Or you can find us on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. Alvin, as I understand it, you have testified in court in over 150 cases. How did you become qualified to be an expert? It's, it's, the, uh, uh, the, the beginning of that was that I have a very dear friend of mine who was a, <clears throat> excuse me, was a, uh, a lawyer, and then he became a judge, and uh, uh, during our conversation, we used to go sailing together, and he says, Alvin, you would make a great expert. And I said, no, forget about it. I don't want to do it. I'm busy enough with my home inspection business and, and everything else I do. And so a, a few months later, I get a, a call from a lawyer, and he says, uh, he gives me a scenario about uh, an accident that one of his clients had uh, was involved in. And I said, are you an ex expert on that uh, uh, that condition and I said uh, well I've been doing it all my life and he said and he told me what he was going to pay me to to be an expert and that lit up my eyes I couldn't believe I was going to make three times the amount <coughs> that that I would norm normally make for a home inspection <coughs> so I took on the case I was very nervous I when I had to testify you see the judge that's sitting on the stand there with a black coat I thought they're going to lock me up I, I I was so frightened, and then again, another case came in, another case came in, another case came in, and then I started to like it because I started to learn about the law, and I took out books on it, the uh, Black's Law Dictionary, and uh, I took out, I started to read the law journal, and I started to read uh, appellate decisions, and uh, on all the aspects of what my expertise is, and voila, you have Alvin Ubell, the expert. David, is that how you have found some of your expert witnesses? Well, experts can be qualified because of their education, uh, because of their training, or, as, as Al just explained, because of their experience. Uh, so one of those three paths uh, is always going to be the foundation. Uh, and depending on what kind of expert they are, uh, oftentimes it's experience, sometimes it's, uh, it's academic uh, expertise and training, uh, and sometimes it's their education. And, and what percentage of your cases do you wind up calling upon expert witnesses? for me to give you a, a, a percentage, but, but with a fair degree of frequency, uh, you know, certainly not 50 percent, but, uh, you know, more than occasionally. Is it true that you may interview many experts until you find the one who might say the things that you really need to hear? 
you know that's that's not been my experience uh my experience has been that if you if you go to an expert who's really well qualified uh and you know what you're looking for uh, either the expert is going to be able to help you or the expert's not going to be able to help you. And, and I don't shop for, uh, uh, you know, paid-for experts. Uh, those people tend to be uh, not very credible, uh, very impeachable. Uh, so if, if an expert, tell, if a well-qualified expert tells me he can't help me, uh, then we're just on to a different defense. And that uh, expert might very well wind up working for your opponent. Well, no. Once once I consult with an expert, that that person cannot then go and and work for the other side. Yeah, that that is absolutely true. Uh, your dedication for the uh, you, you're not being hired really by the lawyer. You're really being hired by his client. The 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 lawyer is really the intermediary, and to select what your client is going to who your client is going to hire. And so, it, it, what's great about doing being expert is they're helping people that really need help. And if you take on a job that, or a case that you're not qualified for, you're doing not only yourself a disservice, but a disservice to the person that needs your help. And what makes a good expert witness? What makes a bad expert witness? Well, an expert, first of all, you, gotta, you, you have to be true to yourself and true to your client and true to the craft that you're in. And, then, and, and, and you cannot favor either the, the defendant or the plaintiff. You'll have to play it as you see it. You can't make up any stories. You, 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 you can't create a story. You have to tell it as it is, whatever it is, and be, and be candid with both the client and the attorney who, who, who has engaged you. David, how much me, do you prepare an expert witness for cross-examination? Uh, and, and let, me, let me just add to what Al just said. For me, the most important thing or qualification for an expert is whether he is a good teacher. Uh, because I firmly believe that you can't ask a jury to just accept what an expert has to say on faith. Uh, the expert has to educate the jury, and, and the jury has to be sitting there sort of shaking their heads silently and saying, yeah, that makes sense to me as a matter of just common sense. So for me, I want an expert who can really teach. <laughs> uh, my experience is I, I, your term of common sense, believe it or not, I, I never liked it because it's so uncommon. And you're right about a teacher. You have to uh, – some things that y you may be involved in as an expert is sometimes so technical. It has a, a relationship to being something physical, mechanical, mathematical, uh, perceptual, and you have to be a participant in what you are doing so that you can explain it. If you can't explain a very technical uh, situation to like a 12 or 13-year-old – you really can't explain it to a jury. You really have to know your subject matter emotionally, mentally, physically. We're talking about expert witnesses on today's Please Explain and inviting your calls at, to 212-433-9692. My guests are Al Ubell of Accurate Building Inspectors, who has served as an expert witness at least 150 times, David Rudolph, who is an attorney uh, and who has called upon expert witnesses in many of his cases. This is WMYC, WMYC.org. I'm Leonard Lopez. David, do you, um, because you have to familiarize your expert witness with the uh, the case, do you 
coach an expert if you're going to try to put them on the stand? Well, uh, it depends on how you how you define coaching. Uh, in terms of, of the material that they're given, uh, I make sure that the expert has all of the relevant material because if the expert has not reviewed something that's relevant, uh, then they're just going to be cross-examined by a good, a good uh, opposing attorney and made to look foolish. Now, if what you mean by coaching is explaining to uh, an expert uh, how, how his uh, answers need to be uh, formed, in other words, words, uh, answer uh, yes or no if, if that's the question, if the question needs an explanation, uh, provide you know as simple an explanation as you can, don't use technical terms, try to use common everyday language, those sorts of things, if you consider that coaching, uh, that, that's coaching, uh, but in my, in my world, that's preparation. Are you ever surprised by what an expert witness says, sometimes working against you? You mean by an expert on the other side? Or your side. You have the expert there, and uh, you assume that the expert was going to be saying the things that uh, are going to help your client and then uh, throws in something that might not help. Uh, no, I, I can't say that, that that that's sort of a common occurrence. What what may happen is you, he may get asked a question uh, that you haven't thought about mm-hmm. uh, that uh, the other side has, and he may end up giving you an answer that uh, is not as helpful as you would like it to be uh, or may even be uh, unhelpful. Uh, but that's that's sort of a, a preparation and, and lawyer uh, preparation issue. It's not it's not really a surprise issue. Well, what about how you present yourself on the stand? Do you dress in a special way? You have to have respect for the court. You got to dress almost as well as the attorney that is in in charge. You got to look good for the jury to believe. You have to be well. You have to be. Sh- if you need, if you shave, you have to be shaven. You have to comb your hair. You have to have a tie on, and it, that's also respect of the court and the judge and the jury. And you and also your demeanor is very important. When the jury is about to leave, you stand up. When the jury comes in, you stand up. You you have to show them that you are part of this whole uh, uh, this whole persona that's taking place. Uh, uh, as far as the question that you had before is, it is not unusual that sometimes I get a case from an, a law firm, they don't even understand the case themselves. And now I have to sit down and explain to them where the prima facie really lies. Some, sometimes an, a person gets injured and they don't even know why they got injured. Uh, sometimes the, the, the person injured party is, is dead and you've got to figure out what caused this uh, situation. It, it, it is a, I find it intriguing, exciting, and I, and I put my motion into it. It, it, it's a, it, is, it is a great thing to do if you can do it. Also, you've got to have a very thick skin. You have to realize that the defense attorney is working for the defense, and he may badger you and make insult you and do all those kinds of things, but that's his job. He's not a bad person. That's his job. Like your, like the job of your attorney is to is to do, is to work for his client, and that's it's it's a, it, it's a, a thing together. The other thing is that when you're getting cross examined, if the attorney for the uh, opposing counsel asks you a question that you know is going to hurt your client, you still have to answer it truthfully honestly and above reproach 
Don't make it. Because if you don't, the jury will pick it up. And all the good stuff that was laid down during direct is going to be wiped away. And you're going to be in bad shape. David, can you explain the term winning the battle of the experts? Well, uh, you know, whenever two experts testify on on opposite sides of an issue, uh, there's always going to be a, a very uh, uh, clear line of, of demarcation and and difference of opinion, uh, and and so winning the battle of the expert is simply making sure that your expert uh, explains things uh, and uh, communicates with the jury more effectively than the other side's expert. And and one of the things that I think is really important, Al didn't mention this, but uh, looking at the jury jury while you are testifying is critically important for any witness, and particularly an expert witness. In other words, the expert can't be looking at the lawyer. Uh, the expert has to be engaging with the jury as he's explaining or she's explaining whatever the, the technical issue is. Let's take a call. Rose from Farmington, New Jersey. You're on the air. Oh, Flemington, New Jersey. Good afternoon. Um, this question is directed at Mr. Rudolph. As a civil rights attorney, do you find that the blue wall of silence makes it difficult to um, get an expert witness? I unfortunately um, have had a, a very sad situation with a particularly violent uh, police officer and had engaged a, a competent expert witness who then backed down. And I was just curious if you find that there are many of them or is this an area that is uh, completely... Uh, Veiled. Well, no, I, you know, I've been I've been successful in finding honest police officers uh, who are willing to tell the truth uh, about any particular situation. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to end up saying what I want them to say. Uh, they may tell me, for example, uh, that uh, in their opinion the police officer acted appropriately. Uh, but there are there are in fact uh, a number of experts out there. Uh, are they easy to find? No, they're not necessarily easy to find. Is there a blue wall, a, th a thin blue line? Absolutely. Uh, do police officers not want to test against other police, testify against other police officers? Absolutely. But but if you look hard enough, you can find experts who will who will testify honestly uh, with regard to police practices. Now we mentioned earlier that expert witnesses are paid. Um, so uh, is that? true only for cases that go to trial or e even if uh, a deal is struck before well you, know, what, oh, oh, go, go ahead no. go ahead you got it <laughs> I, what i was going to say what i was going to say is that no you you engage an expert and often i'll engage an expert just for educating me about something uh so if there's a technical issue uh, i'll hire a consulting expert who i may not even plan to put on the witness stand, but simply I'm hiring him or her uh, to educate me about the issue. Uh, oftentimes you then get into you know, civil discovery uh, uh, and uh, the case settles, uh, you still end up paying your expert. So you generally pay your expert for their time. Uh, that's how most experts bill, whether it's hourly or by the half day or by the day. What do public defenders do if they can't afford to pay an expert? Wasn't, wouldn't a wealthier client always have an advantage when it comes to uh, having experts? Well, the simple answer is yes, uh, but uh, public defenders can petition the court uh, for funds for an expert. Now, you know, courts are not necessarily 
going to approve all, all such requests, nor are they always going to approve the amount of money that you need. And some experts, to be frank, are, are willing in those situations to, as a matter of pro bono, uh, cut their rates way, way down from what they would charge a civil, uh, a civil plaintiff. Uh, Alvin, I understand you've done that. Yes. Uh, I, I do. Uh, sometimes I'm, I do a consulting work f- uh, for the Legal Aid Society, uh, and sometimes, you know, you, got, you have uh, a, a plaintiff or even a defendant, depending upon what the case is all about, that is on food stamps, and they can't afford uh, an expert. And, and I do that sometimes pro bono, or sometimes I explain what the case is all about. Like sometimes uh, a, a baby gets scalded in a, in, a, in a sink or something like that, and then they arrest the mother because they deliberately scalded the child. And I'll come in and, and I'll explain how it works. Sometimes that scalding could have been taking place as a result of somebody flushing the toilet on the upper floor and all of a sudden takes away the cold water from the hot water and the child gets scalded. So I'm involved in a lot of those kinds of cases, and sometimes uh, I'll just sit down and, or over the phone, I'll explain to the lawyer who is defending that person is to uh, what it's all about, and and that sometimes the gate case will go away, and I, it, it's very gratifying that. I'm speaking with Al Ubell of Accurate Building Inspectors and David Rudolph, an attorney. In fact, he was the attorney for Michael Peterson, who's the subject of the Sundance miniseries, The Staircase. And we will continue our conversation. Take your calls at 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at WNYC.org or on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle is at Leonard Lopate. If you're still figuring out your Thanksgiving menu, why not let the Leonard Lopez Show's recipe archive inspire you? We've got seasonal recipes from the likes of Ruth Reichel, Mother Joffrey, and more. Next week, New York Times food columnist Melissa Clark and Bon Appetit deputy editor Andrew Knowlton will both be here to troubleshoot all of your Thanksgiving and Friendsgiving concerns. And you can find out more on our show page at wnyc.org slash Lopate. You're listening to WNYC and wnyc.org. And we are back with David Rudolph, uh, who is an attorney. He, we're talking about expert witnesses in courtrooms. Also with us is Al Ubell, who has served as an expert witness in many cases. He is His company is Accurate Building Inspectors. David, do you find that um, all of the expert witnesses we see on shows like The Good Wife and such uh, confuse juries? Do they expect them to be like the people they see on television, the movies? Well, I, I think uh, there there has been in recent years what what often is referred to as a CSI effect, uh, where uh, jurors expect uh, uh, parties to be able to come up with scientific proof of a particular fact. Uh, so I think that's that's a very real issue for lawyers as they prepare for cases in terms of what what jurors expect out of experts. Uh, I'm not sure jurors really know what to expect out of an expert, uh, you know. And I think uh, oftentimes uh, they think that they're going to get uh, a lot of uh, gobbledygook. And, and what what I try to make sure is that my expert gives them good common sense uh, information. In 2003, Michael Peterson. 
a novelist, was found guilty of murder, and you were his defense attorney. But in 2010, it was discovered that the state's principal witness in the trial, a blood spatter expert, had misled jurors. How did that witness, Dwayne Deaver, mislead the jury? Well, uh, that gets us into a whole uh, discussion of junk science, um, and uh, and junk science is a very, very large problem in the expert uh, witness area. Uh, Deaver uh, simply made up uh, uh, stuff as he went along, uh, and when confronted with opposing uh, experts and treatises, uh, simply dismissed them as irrelevant and, and not accurate. Uh, and it wasn't until many years later that uh, uh, we were able to establish uh, through some post-conviction discovery uh, that he had lied about a number of things, and, and as a result of that, the judge uh, struck his testimony and granted D- Peterson a new trial. And we did a show not long ago about the problems with DNA evidence, often um, misread uh, and expert witnesses uh, often uh, play a, a with DNA evidence play a, a, a really powerful role in um, getting the jury to decide one way or another. And I think that's become a, a real problem uh, in recent days. Uh, you know, and I, I think it's especially true when you're dealing with mixtures uh, and uh, and and you know those sorts of, of more complex issues. Uh, and and it's it's a problem because DNA is sort of the gold standard, uh, and everybody thinks that DNA is going to tell you the truth. Uh, and uh, and even with DNA evidence, sometimes it depends on who's interpreting it. Alvin, how has the CSI effect uh, uh, been an effect <laughs> affected you? <laughs> well, I, it's a good it's a good show and everything else, but uh, my experience is that uh, you come to you uh, the expert really has to be has to read the depositions of both the plaintiff and the defendant uh, and see what, who is credible, what is feasible, what is honest, what is dishonest. Uh, a, a, in, a, in, an, in a deposition, uh, a landlord, somebody trip and fall on a sidewalk that is completely deteriorated and it's loose pieces all over the place. And he, he lies on, the, on his deposition saying, oh, it looks perfectly all right to me. And, and you know that that's not credible. And then against whatever else you find. And you, and you put that into your analysis in your report on, on what is an inconsistent and what is consistent. Let's take a call from John from Long Island. Hi, John. You're on the air. Hi. How you doing? Uh, my name is John. I have a question. I had an accident three and a half years ago, and I got uh, 25,000 pounds hit me in the back. I was in a pickup truck, and it was a, a landscaping truck with a trailer. Uh, is there any any uh, good reason to use a cause and effect impact engineer? That, that, that's a, uh, automobile uh, accidents are out of my milieu, but however... The thing is, all the evidence has to f- come together. Who was driving the car, what he was driving it for, what highway was on, what was the speed limit. There are so many aspects to automobile accidents that the lawyer who is handling that case for you has to have those kinds of experts at his fingertips and bring them together and get the true scenario, what went on and why it went on. David, uh, on Twitter, Rachel wants to know if expert witnesses are disproportionately male. That's an interesting question. Um, 
I, I guess I would say yes, uh, but probably no more so than than the general population of whatever expertise they have. So, for example, if if you're using an engineer, uh, my guess is that the number of experts who are male uh, pretty much tracks the number of engineers who are male. Let's take another call uh, from Jesse from Rockland County. Hi, you're on there. Hi, thank you. It's a fascinating discussion. Thank you very much, Flores. I'm a physician, and I have reviewed several hundred expert, uh, several hundred medical malpractice cases over the past 25 years. Yet only a handful of them have actually gone to trial. I consider my role to be evaluating the evidence of the case for what the truth of the situation is and educating the attorney who's engaged me as to whether or not the case is defensible or whether or not there's a valid case to begin with. Um, And I'm most pleased when I can educate an attorney about whether or not he should go forward with the case, either for plaintiff or for defense, uh, because I think that the the role of an expert is is truly to keep the system functioning well and functioning efficiently, as opposed to winning the case for one side or another. And Alvin, do you kind of agree with that? That's ab- absolutely right. Uh, although I've only testified a little over 150 times, I've actually done th- uh, over 1,000 cases, and it's a very small percentage that actually go to trial. And I many times will say uh, to the attorney or the insurance company that I'm working for, I says, forget it. You're going to lose this case. There's not enough on your side. Or there's two, or this is, this got, I got 20 prima facies that are unreputable. This is a great case. Go, go for broke, or whatever it is. It, it depends upon each case as individual unto itself, and most cases do not go to trial. Thank you so much for your call, Jesse. Uh, what's the difference between a fact witness and an expert witness? David? Well, uh, a, a expert witness is permitted to give opinions. Uh, a fact witness cannot give any opinions. The fact witness has to simply uh, testify about what he or she has seen, heard, smelled, tasted, or felt. Uh, so a, a fact witness is limited to information they've obtained through their senses. An expert, on the other hand, is permitted to take facts not necessarily of their own knowledge, but rather the kinds of facts that such experts normally rely upon, uh, and then from those facts form opinions. The one limitation uh, is that experts generally are not permitted to give an opinion on the ultimate issue in the case. So, for example, uh, Al might be able to testify uh, that a particular situation violates a building code uh, or violates a standard of care, uh, but he, in most jurisdictions, would not be then permitted to say, and it's my opinion that the defendant was negligent. But you, you mentioned earlier that junk science became an issue, especially uh, in, of concern in the early 80s. Um, how has that been worked out? Uh, what, what's the Dobert? Dobert, is it standard? Uh, it, well, it, it depends on what state you're in. In some states, there's the Fry standard, uh, uh, and some states, it's the, it's the Dobert standard uh, or Daubert standard. Uh, and in the Daubert standard, the judge is supposed to be the gatekeeper. Uh, the judge is supposed to make a preliminary decision about whether the expert, uh, A, has sufficient knowledge, training, and experience to give an opinion, uh, and B, whether that opinion is based on uh, facts uh, and circumstances uh, that that are present in the case. Uh, 
uh, in a fry state, it simply is the is the expert testifying about something that is generally accepted by experts in that particular field. I think New York may still be a fry state. Uh, I'm not sure Al probably knows that better than not, I. Uh, that's out of my milieu. What, okay. is, what is in my milieu is that <clears throat> when I go to look at a case, I'm looking for notice, if they have direct notice, like a, somebody told them that <clears throat> something is wrong, or constructive notice, that it's so obvious that even a layperson could see that some defect took place, or cause, somebody caused the accident, or created the accident, or created the condition that caused the accident. Those are the things I look for. Also, If somebody was warned that a condition might be dangerous and then did nothing about it. That's exactly right. And, all, and also, uh, it has to bring together all of these, all this information, also what is considered industry standards. What has the industry uh, put together? Like, I'll give you an ex- a quick example. Uh, like a person falling down a set of stairs, and the stairs are inconsistent. You know, the steps are not equal from top to bottom. That standard dates back 2,000 years, and it's been kept in all of the codes from, from the turn of the century up to this date. Let's take another call. Bill from Keyport, New Jersey. Hi, you're on the air. Hi. My question is for the gentleman who is the uh, expert witness. I'm just curious what type of uh, liability is there for being an expert witness? Like, would you have to carry a special kind of insurance to cover yourself for uh, being a witness? Thank you. Well, what, before before you engage by a lawyer, uh, a, an expert has to put in uh, a, a retainer agreement. And in that retainer agreement, it says, uh, I'm going to paraphrase what it has to say. It says that the attorney knows of the ability of your expertise and, and has engaged you under that standard. And uh, if a case goes awry, only if you lie on the stand or, or put false statements into your report are you liable. And uh, 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 experts who do that are opening the door for their own destruction. Now, with that in mind, uh, getting back, uh, David, to the Michael Peterson case, um, what happens with the cases, uh, the other cases that Deaver has testified on? Will they all be reopened? Uh, a, a number of them uh, are being looked at, and a number of them have been reopened. Um, uh, but interestingly enough, uh, although Deaver was fired, uh, uh, he uh, he wasn't prosecuted uh, for lying in the Peterson case, and in essence costing Michael Peterson eight years of his life. Now, science does change in some cases. What we um, what we think is true at one point, uh, then turns out to not be true later. Um, so is that something that you can bring up in court with a with an expert witness? A- absolutely. You know, for example, uh, there's been a lot of work done on eyewitness identification uh, over the past 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, lot, uh, a lot of research done on what are the factors that affect uh, perception and memory. Uh, and those are the sorts of things that an expert is well qualified to testify about. And memory is a key factor in so many cases, uh, <laughs> because <laughs> my memory of an experience uh, and my brother's memory of the same experience when we were kids seems to be a total variance. Well, and that's because your mind is not a tape recorder. Uh, <laughs> you know, we we uh, process information based on our experiences and and our perceptions. 
Uh, and, uh, and we have to leave it there. Emotions. We have and, to leave and, it there, unfortunately. My great thanks to both of you for being on our show, Attorney David Rudolph and Alvin Ubell of Accurate Building Inspectors. We've been talking about expert witnesses on today's Please Explain segment. It's been a pleasure having you both on our show. Thank you very thanks much for, for having, having us. Me.